So we went straight to MotoGP, but there was not a, a, a rough idea how a bike could look. There was no <laughs> idea about the budget, what you need for MotoGP. Brilliant. Um, KTM decided, yes, we go MotoGP. Uh, crazy like we are. I think the announcement was already in the next day that we will go MotoGP, <laughs> and then we started. <laughs> so I love that. The, I love pre that the, pressure, <laughs> the pressure was there from day number one. Welcome to Last on the Brakes, the MotoGP podcast, coming back at you, as you can see from behind us, from the Styrian GP. I'm Fran Wilde. This is alongside me, Matt Dunn. And today, Matt, who are we talking to? Well, we're very, very fortunate to be speaking to the head of KTM's motorsport project, Pitt Byra. Now, the old microphone's going down a little bit there, but it's a podcast, <laughs> so we'll carry on. Uh, of course, we had to speak to Pitt. We've been chasing him down super hard for you guys because, of course, back off the back of that win in Bruneau, well, we got to talk to about them and see basically how that project came to fruition, but also not just KTM's history. This isn't a KTM podcast. We want to get to know hit Byra because I'm quite aware that you know and I think you might have found this too Fran we've wanted him on the show for this year but a lot of people in the MotoGP paddock won't quite know him as Pit Byra the motocross German motocross legend basically we know him as Pit Byra head of KTM Motorsports so you know we wanted to get to know him personally and what how his sort of career in motocross brought him to all the success which KTM have had exactly so yeah we'll uh, we'll touch on that obviously in the episode get to know him uh, but yeah like you say that kind of weird comparison of how he's seen in different disciplines mm. uh, in the off-road world he's like one of their own also head of ktm motorsport in general and i think here it's like oh he's the head of ktm motorsport oh and he also was a motocross rider uh, but really really interesting chat i think the pure burning passion ambition everything Really all of those, that drive is incredible. And yeah. I think certainly I'm really fired up now to carry on with my day after we record this. Yeah, even and I'm sure the listeners will agree. 5 p.m. local time. <laughs> no, but to tell you what, the, the, the story coming out about how they precisely, the moment they decided to come into MotoGP with all that success they've had in all these other disciplines, even down in Moto3, they already had a racing project. Still, the story about how that decision came about, you're going to have to listen to it because it really yeah, is sensational. <laughs> and we've got to say thank you very much to Pitt for giving up his time. Even though it's the second race here in Spielberg, it's still pretty much just as busy as the first one, given that it's their home race. So, uh, no, that was an awesome effort for them to let us have him for a good half an hour. It was. So thank you to Pitt. Thank you to KTM. Shout out to Sebastian Kuhn for the uh, phone spam he's put up with, uh, organising it for us. And we very much hope you enjoy it. So... Yeah. Take it away. Pitt, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here in Austria. Very busy man these two weeks, I'm sure. So we said to you just before we started recording, it won't be a podcast just about KTM state secrets. We want to get to know you a little bit better and your role in the company, how this incredible success that you're having now has come about. But first, we thought we'd start like we do often. You were a rider before. So we have to ask you how you got into motorbikes, when your passion for the sport and for riding began and how you kind of started this journey. Wow, that's quite far back. But <laughs> Not that far, you're a young man. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I mean, I was just that normal kid who had a dream to become a motorcycle racer. I mean, I think the first dream was not even to become a racer or, or win races. It was just to ride bikes. And I was so crazy about it that um, 
I, uh, for like my 10th uh, birthday, uh, everybody asked what, what, what I wanted to have. I asked everybody for money <laughs> so I could buy with the support, of course, of my dad and the grandparents, my first little motorcycle. So I was asking for that for many, many years already. And then when I was 10, it was time to do that. So I came in there like many other guys. I wanted to ride bikes, nothing else. So, um, And then it became a critical, or it became critical years to balance between school and, and riding mm. a bike. But at the end of the day, I, I made it through and uh, became a professional motor, motocross racer. And that brought me basically uh, even uh, to the position where I'm uh, in today exactly. because without that first steps and uh, being part of that racing world for many many years um, I would not be in the same uh, position with KTM right now so it was a pretty intense uh, journey <laughs> I, sorry I just was going to pick out there most kids ask their parents for the bike I love how you already were like guys I need your funding here for my project. My project is the bike, and you kind of, that was you putting it together, more than just, Dad, get me a bike. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I have to say, we didn't have money at home, so, yeah. so it was just, uh, yeah, it was just going around. We could survive, but Making there was no money left for, for, for um, yeah, nice things like a bike in these days. So we had to be creative, and even when I started my career, um, friends around my, around my dad, like they they created the pit by or fame club <laughs> really and uh, these guys had to come together every tuesday after a race <laughs> see how much money we need for another week of racing and they have really put that money on the table uh, to pay my first mechanic uh, because i had no driving license and my dad had to work so i needed somebody to 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 drive me around and uh, so through the fame club i had to go through a really hard period of my life to 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 live the dream to become a racer and uh, yeah and to get the money together to, to do it uh, so i was pretty happy then maybe with uh, 17 or 18 years when i was fast enough that somebody gave me already uh, free bikes and and some money and and a little van to go to the races and that's how it all started so looking back i wanted it really badly and and there was no nothing else i wanted just no this so B, every yeah. no plan b um it went that far that I even went to the bank to loan uh, 100,000 Deutschmark back in the days to buy a bigger truck and to hire a professional mechanic. Uh, so I was running my own team in these days. And this, this went even... Uh, I became third in the Motocross World Championship with my private team, yeah. having my own truck, having my own people, finding my own sponsors. And uh, I think that was a very important part of my life which helps me a lot in the in the job I got now uh, I, I, from KTM. I've got to ask you, are you were you really naturally talented from the get-go or did you because you're known for your grit and determination but were you obviously you have to have a level of talent but from the moment you got that bike when you were 10 straight through was the natural talent there obvious? I think I had a really uh, good talent to to start the sport and then do the right things on a bike but yeah. then later if I compare myself with maybe the top 10 in the world championship I, for sure, I didn't have the same talent like my friend Stefan Everts, for example. Mm. Um, so I, I was working really hard uh, physically. I, I was always super fit. And then uh, I tried really hard in the races to make, uh, to make the results. And sometimes I tried too hard. So <laughs> people knew me. I will, I will win or I will crash. There was not so much in between. So, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, the, 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 I wanted... I wanted to succeed and I was ready to work hard for that. So I don't know the right words in English, but 
that part was stronger than the talent, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's good. That's cool. I mean, we see a lot of different guys in MotoGP now. There's so many different personalities and paths. Everyone has that character. Not everyone is that kind of Mark Marquez or Valentino Rossi straight out the box. Uh, but it's interesting how you look back on that now and say like, no, I, I was the kind of the other guy. But you did win a fair bit, didn't you? You had a lot of success. You were runner-up once and you had a few third places overall. What was that kind of period like once you'd made it to that level compared to when you've been the kid with the dream and aiming for it? I mean, still, um, you work so many years to become a professional racer. And that moment when you sign your first professional contract and you make money and, and uh, coming out of this little village uh, in, in <laughs> Germany and there was no, no, no option to, I mean, to work in that little company from my dad and stay maybe in that little village forever or, or get out there and, and try to, to chase a dream. Um, it was so good to, to make the sport professional and then to, to live from it. And I, I was a couple of years in, in the top three uh, position in the world championship. So I, I made good money, better money than with just normal working. <laughs> um, so I mean, that, that's, that's an, a part of your life which is so good and, and, and it will never come back. So I mean, the satisfaction to be a professional sportsman, I think that's, that's something uh, very outstanding and, and kids should really dream from that because it cannot get any better than this. And then if you do what you love and, and not one of your days is a working day because every day you can do what you, what you like, do sports and then ride a motorcycle in the afternoon. Sunday you get paid in cash for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what, You're selling what, it quite well, I've yeah. got to say. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you ask for and then, then uh, but one thing I want to say about the talent and, and riders, you mentioned uh, Vale and, and Mark. I was never that multi-time champion, but you have many guys who can work hard and the talent is so-so. You have many guys with a huge talent, but then they are not uh, ready to put in all the work. Mm. And the, 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 the great champions, they have all of that. I mean, they have the super talent. They had some good management around who put them in the right place in the right moment but they are also ready to work just harder every single day than the other guys. Otherwise, yeah. you are no, not, not a champion in, in uh, one of all these difficult uh, disciplines. So, yeah, I, I had my career. I was happy how I did it. But you see, a proper champion is never a champion because he had the talent. He was also working harder mm. than the yeah, other yeah, guys. Hard sure. work beats talent unless talent works hard, that sort yes, of thing. Absolutely. The reason, the reason why we wanted to bring this up, because looking, researching into you, because we've had you sort of pinpointed a song we wanted to do a podcast with for quite a while, I think a lot of interviews you Pat see... sounds a little bit threatening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now he's trapped in the room with us. And, I know, but we, we looking at a lot of MotoGP interviews with you, I think it, when I've seen interviews with you uh, when you visited Supercross or Motocross, you're still pitched as Pit Byra, the ex-rider, a German motocross legend, plus KTM head of motorsports. Whereas I think almost, I, view, I wonder whether the fans picture you in MotoGP just as Pit Byra head of KTM Motorsports a bit more than that because they don't know because maybe they don't follow motocross. That's why I wanted to, to ask you a bit about it. And what I wanted to ask, what moment are you most proud of in your motocross career? Is there any specific moment or a culmination of things? Yeah, I mean, there was one moment uh, when, I, when I won in, I think in 91. Don't nail me down for that year now. <laughs> but I won the, as an as a upcoming kid, uh, I won the German uh, motocross GP. So to win a, a motocross GP in your own country and then uh, uh, hear that 
national anthem at, at the end of the day and, and that's something like that emotions you cannot describe I mean yeah. you want to cry you want to laugh you want to <laughs> you want to hug the whole world so uh, winning a GP especially a home GP that's that's something outstanding which which will always uh, follow you forever and uh, so I had a couple of, of GP wins I had another big one in, in, in Germany a couple years later so these these GP wins in, 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 in your home country they were quite special so but then I had also um, I think two or three races where I could dominate the motocross of nations where it's the only time of the year that you can meet also the best guys from USA together with all your world championship uh, colleagues and there I had a clear 1-1 in 97 in Mm. Nîmes in Belgium so you see these dates come still and the name of the of the venue comes and I forgot so many of the other races but of course there are some special races and since I was not a multi-time champion and winner, um, the GP wins there were special. You're because, still very accomplished. I, mean, I had German championships, I had a Swiss championship, I had an Italian championship. <laughs> I was always moving around yeah. uh, to a team where I thought this is the best team to win the championship. So I was always ready to, to leave home and, and, and be alone somewhere in the country where I thought I have the best possibilities. But all these things were nothing compared to win a GP. I mean, that's yeah. that's still something very special. And that's why I feel also always so emotional on the uh, Sunday afternoon on, on the racetrack here when you see the guys on the podium. They achieved something special and this this is uh, yeah quite nice. I was going to say, it's not quite the same discipline here, but you are one of the few here in a management position who must really understand how it feels to cross that finish line like for Brad and Bruno and really kind of get just all of the outpouring of emotion, good relief, everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, in this paddock, I'm still fighting the fact that they call me the motocross guy. So. <laughs> Is he a fighting? Should we, should we edit that bit out? So they're still scared that in the morning I want to put the knob tire on the bike or something like that. <laughs> but I think I adapted quite well in the meantime. Uh, yeah, but... I mean, you have, I'm not the only one in the paddock uh, or in all the, the, the paddocks that I think an ex-racer can be a good manager. Not every ex-racer is a good manager, I, I would also say. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think the background, like running my own team where I had my own people, I had to do uh, a carnet to pass customs. I think most of the riders in this paddock don't even know what a carnet is. <laughs> I had to do it. I, I prepared the overseas trip. I packed a crate to put the bike in there and go. Um, I had to pay my mechanics, I had to cook for them, I had to make sure they have a place to sleep. All these things helped me a lot because this is exactly what we are doing now, uh, just with many more people. But if you did everything yourself one time, I think that helps a lot from the organization thing. So I was not a rider managed by a manager who only came with his toothbrush to the races and (laughs) asked where's the bike. (laughs) So I had to make sure the bike is there. And even I was there when we tuned the engine and and then worked on the suspension so in the yeah looking back this was hard for me as a racer because i was not in the in a position of a factory rider with all the support but this was so much better now for my future that i had to go through Mm. all that plus then the racer uh helps to understand everybody in the in the garage or in the team or on the on a motocross track i think i can be a quite a good Bump rubber between sorry, bump rubber between all the the guys, a mechanic, uh, a sponsor, a rider, because it's all about keeping the people happy and yeah. and make sure everybody's on the right position. So 
I'm not the guy who can build a better bike than, than all the guys around me, but I have to make sure I have the right guy in the right position. And uh, all these, the best experts are nothing if, you, if they don't fit together as a team. So, and I think there, there you have an advantage as an ex-rider because you still know how a rider feels when he comes in and he's doubting something. It will not help him if you tell him, yeah, but your team colleague is going faster on the same bike, get out <laughs> yeah. there and go. No, you need to listen to the guy and you need to give him what he needs to perform. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's an advantage from being a rider before. It's interesting all that you say there because that, the, those sort of attributes which are helping you now in your current position, that's what we kind of wanted to really find out about you. What in your, 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 part, your life as a motocross racer, very accomplished, has, has given you the skills to be able to do what you're doing now? Where did you learn those skills? What did you need to improve on? And so th what I want to ask you next is when, of course, you had your accident and you got then given a job by KTM, I read somewhere that they, they employed you, but you didn't exactly know what job you were going to take on from then. So what was your first position in your, in your second life, as you called it? I mean, first of all, they still didn't tell me what I should do in this company, but I found my way. Yeah, I feel like you made the best of it. <laughs> they just gave yeah. you an office and you thought, well, but let's start. No, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I think if you follow me, you, you can see I'm bleeding orange, and, but that's not because they pay me. <laughs> but uh, I was a factory rider when I, when I had an accident in Bulgaria in uh, 2003. And uh, Mr. Piero himself, himself and Heinz Kindergartner, they came to the hospital and told me, you have a job in KTM, whatever happens here. And they didn't know what to expect. I mean, they knew me. Yeah. And of course, they expected something. And we had a good relation already before. But uh, that was, a, that was a, something very special that I had this help. You know, when, when you uh, have an accident and you're paralyzed, it's like the whole world is collapsing around you. And then there is not so many things which are really important in your life in that moment. Uh, there is a family. Uh, it was my wife and, and I had a little kid with six months, mm. but I was fighting for life for a couple of days. So it was very critical. But then the first moment when I was awake, there was Kinney. Eh, we have a car down there for you with hand control and uh, oh, wow. you have a job in KTM, you know, when you come out here. So it was like from the first moment I, have some, I had a, a really strong hand uh, given to, for my future. And that was, that was uh, definitely something really, really important in my, for my second life. And yeah, it was exactly like that. I said, yeah, what should I do? They said, yeah, just, just go into the sport office and see what you can do. <laughs> Did the office look different than it does now? Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. I Somewhat. mean, it, it was definitely a, a crazy time, but, yeah. but I came there and I saw many things where I thought, man, there is so much potential. The company wants so much uh, to be involved in motorsport. The racing department had already in that days a really good budget, uh, talking more about off-road than road racing, but it came in in the same days. But I thought somehow it was misused. Uh, it was not invested in the right way. And uh, there were some people involved for them. It was more important to have some uh, alcohol board on KTM costs and, 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 uh, and just make sure they had a good life, but they didn't give everything for the athletes. And I have so much respect for the athletes when they risk their, their health and everything for a company. So they are number one and we adapt everything around that. And uh, yeah, with this passion, I went in there and then I informed mainly Kinney because I didn't have that close contact to, to our CEO, Mr. Pira, what I have today. So I always told him, Kinney, look, we are doing this wrong. I think we can do that better. And, and, and so I just gave my advice 
and then step by step I got uh, I got more and more responsibility and then I had a couple of bosses in these days <laughs> looks like they all gave up on, on <laughs> from from the pressure from the, from the sideline so suddenly I was alone in the lead and then uh, through the financial crisis in uh, 2008 we we stepped out of road racing because in that moment I was only responsible for the off-road part I managed that already quite well we got some nice titles into the company but then uh, when we decided to come back to road racing it was then uh, that Mr. Pira asked me also to to lead that operation uh, in the meantime we went to USA for Supercross so I got the whole US story on on my desk and uh, but for sure then the hardest part for me personal was to learn about road racing because I definitely knew nothing about it. <laughs> wow. um, but yeah, it came in step by step and suddenly we even had to decide to come into MotoGP, but that was definitely a bigger step. That's something we'll definitely ask about. Uh, one of the things that I read, I think, well, like I said, when we were researching you, was you were talking about the collaboration between the racing and the kind of street bikes departments and how you kind of made them work together rather than in competition. And that sounds really interesting because this is something where you really need that synergy, isn't it? Is that something that you think you've changed a lot within the attitude? I think I could really help to to, to change... Uh a kind of virus in the oh, it's not good to talk these <laughs> days about the virus <laughs> but we had one like I came there and the racers they always wanted to prove that they can build a better motorcycle and not talking about street bikes it was street and off-road uh, but the racers thought they can build a better bike than our R&D engineers and the R&D engineers they thought they could build a better bike than the motorsport guys mm. so everybody was kind of laughing in the, behind the, the scene if the other guys did a mistake or racers did their own chassis or, or frame but the frame cracked and they said yeah we knew before this will crack then they watched the R&D guys doing a chassis where we knew if you just change the angle on the front the bike will perform better and uh, I think that was an, a milestone for, for our company when, when we managed uh, Philip who was in, in that moment uh, the head of R&D and myself, we both realized that, but all the people involved didn't realize. But we both managed to bring them on a, on a table. We invented something very simple. Every Wednesday after a race, the R&D department and the race department meets. And right. we tell each other what happened during the week. Because the R&D guys, they, they learn so much by, by engineering and, and developing parts. And this knowledge is so strong and helpful for racing. Racers sometimes, they take the brutal and radical approach. They just <laughs> cut them, something, weld it together differently, and they try. But to bring all of this together on the same uh, table and learn from it uh, makes just better bikes. And the better standard product we have, the better race machines we will have. And the more we learn in racing, this will go back into the company. So that was a very, I think, important step to do, to, to bring this and to the company. And that was something what racing... Yeah. could pay back to the company because we also get some nice cash to go racing from the company. <laughs> and I feel like that. that's the one time the competition element of racing was not a positive. <laughs> it's like, guys, collaborate here, here, collaborate, there, compete. <laughs> well, I was, I was wondering whether that meant that, you know, that synergy between them, you want the production guys to improve, to learn from the racing guys. Was that part of the decision process to come into MotoGP properly then? Was, was that part of it or not at all? Um, I think... Something like that make, made the whole company stronger. And, uh, mm. and uh, 
In that moment, I think we sold maybe 50,000, 60,000 motorcycles. In the meantime, we sell uh, 280,000 motorcycles. So the company, just as a pure size, became much bigger through the success. Ah. And if there was no motorsport success and no success on the serial production, we would not be strong enough to handle a MotoGP project. So it also, 2004, when we made that first step, I think the company was not ready uh, size-wise and, and also not with, not with knowledge to, to run a MotoGP project. Um, this time, we had already a very strong R&D department with a fantastic facilities for dino rooms and stuff. and, and um, calculations in the background. You cannot do a MotoGP bike with like learning by doing, you know, and build a bike and build another one. There needs to be some proper engineering behind. And um, yeah, I think from from making the whole company better, this was the, the, the only reason why we could handle a MotoGP project some years later. Yeah. The, the key point was 2012, how we stepped back into uh, Moto3, because we, we had a quite successful road racing project uh, in 125 and 250. But the bike was built basically externally. Yeah. FTR made the chassis and very strong and good engine. Tuner Harold Bartol, I think many of the people in the paddock know him, he yeah. made the engine. But at the end of the day, it was a package of, 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 of material which is, was not really done in-house with KTM. So when road racing stopped in 2008, there was no knowledge left for, for the company in the company. We paid everything. But the bikes were gone, the knowledge was gone, and there was nothing in KTM <laughs> yeah. to restart. And uh, when, we, when we started again in 2012, I, I said to Mr. Piero, okay, I will do it, but believe me, I will stick to the steel chassis, and I want to use our own suspension, and I want to have every, everybody in Matikhofen, because I need to control all racing disciplines, and I cannot have a building somewhere else uh, with other people running the road race project. They will never do it like we want to do it here. So um, that was quite difficult in the first moment, but I got, for example, really good people from the R&D department, which have built in that days the RC8, and they went into the German championship with that bike. Was nowhere at the level of a, of a world championship, but they were the first road racers in-house, yeah. and around them we have built our Model 3 project. And uh, that was definitely one of the most important points that we can do a MotoGP project, because we had a road race department. It was small, but it was there. And around that, and with the leading guys from the Moto3 days, they are the leading guys who, has, who built up with me the MotoGP uh, project. So bringing R&D into racing and then later make Moto3 an in-house project, they were basically the, the milestones why we can do a MotoGP project now. So when did that decision come then? We have to ask. Obviously, it was 2016 in Valencia that you debuted the bike. When did it really become a concrete decision like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to enter the Premier class? Well, it was basically just uh, one and a half years before. <laughs> wow. uh, even, that, now you have a win as well, that's even more incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that's somehow the craziness of KTM, you know. <laughs> we decided on, a, on an evening, um, we should, I, I mean, we won all the classes, we won the World Championship where we entered. So. Mr. Trunkenpolz, uh, our sales board guy, he said, hey, Kini, hey, Pete, there is only one thing left. We need to go MotoGP. And we were like, I think you're crazy, man. <laughs> and then uh, we, were, we were looking for the guy who was brave enough to, to explain Mr. Piro that we want to go MotoGP. <laughs> we did it. 
Um, we talked also definitely a, a couple of times to Dorna what would be the rules, would they accept uh, <laughs> yeah. us in this paddock and everything. But uh, Carmelo, he was so, so, so uh, motivating for us and he told us, you guys can do that and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can do it and come on, skip the other disciplines, go yeah, MotoGP yeah. <laughs> because in that days it was an idea to go first to MotoGP2 and then to MotoGP. So we went straight to MotoGP, but there was not a, 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 a rough idea how a bike could look. There was no <laughs> idea about the budget, what you need for MotoGP. Um, KTM decided, yes, we go MotoGP. Uh, crazy like we are. I think the announcement was already in the next day that we will go MotoGP and then we started. <laughs> so I love that. The, I love the, the, pressure, <laughs> the pressure was there from day number one. And yeah. uh, believe me, with that win, that was not just a win. It was... I mean, there were so many things which were difficult and we didn't know how to handle them and how to create them and how to do it. And uh, all you guys mentioned this, the WP suspension, all of this. But behind many question marks there, there we got a, like a check okay uh, with that Bruno win. So it was a, definitely a very special moment for us. And it's not been a one-off at all as well. This season, you're really kind of still up there. It must be satisfying for you then if you're a champion of your philosophy, like you said, with the chassis and the suspension, these things that don't follow the blueprint of so many other manufacturers. Does that make it a bit sweeter as well that you've managed to take that to the top? Yeah, I mean, that's something I had to face in every discipline. When I went to America for Supercross, the top guys, they would tell me, hey, you're a nice guy, KTM is a strong company, you win already in Europe, but in Supercross you will never succeed with a, a steel chassis and WP yeah. suspension. And um, we had to prove it. I came back to Moto3. Remember, the motocross guy comes to the MotoGP paddock telling them, we're going to win here with a steel chassis and WP suspension. Also, not many people uh, supported <laughs> did us you, in, in Did thinking. you just refer to yourself as the motocross guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, can, I can live with that. I think it's a strong and, uh, and uh, sure. honest foundation for, for anything in, 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 in racing. And of course, now I'm looking back and I can look back a little bit more relaxed than, than a couple of months ago. But racing is always the same. You need to find good people and get a team spirit together. And of course, you need a certain quality. I mean, it doesn't help if I get the best farmer to build a motorcycle. Mm. I need the best guy to build a motorcycle. But once you find them and, and the team spirit and the, the mentality of a racer, it's so similar between all the disciplines and I'm, I was so lucky that I could meet uh, Dakar winners and Supercross winners and Motocross winners and now finally I even know in person a couple of MotoGP, MotoGP winners. These guys are special, they are outstanding, but, but how to make them happy in the background, the work is pretty much the same. At the end you build a different product with different people, but you need to keep the same spirit. So that's why also I think also a Motocross guy could put together uh, a decent MotoGP team or, or Moto3 project. It's because we all, in the racing world, we all like a family and we speak the same language and that's, that's so nice to see. Uh, we got to, um, before, I know we've got to let you go very shortly. We've got a quick fire round to go to just beforehand, but just before that, I, I do just want to ask, it sounds like you've made a massive bet on yourself, your philosophy and beliefs. Do you recognize how much of a big of a, a bet on yourself that sounds? Because listening to this story, I'm like, my goodness, that's a lot of self-faith and belief. I, I never thought about that, and uh, maybe that helps. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's you know, not really the case. I, I want to wake up and I want to push as hard as I can every single day, and that's how I went through my career. That's how I went uh, 
from the hospital and the wheelchair and straight into the company without any 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 struggles uh, about about my accident, and that's how I work. So I never look for any protection or guarantees. I just want to do the best. And I think if you want to do your best every single day, there will be a result. Uh, anything else would not be fair. And uh, but that's something I also ask from my people. So hmm. the people I choose around me, they they have the same spirit. I'm not the kind of uh, Guy, I don't want to tell my people every day, hey, you need to be here this time and that's what you need to do. I work with targets and, and I want to find people around me who have the same target and, and the same spirit and then we reach something together. And uh, so it's not about me, it's really about forming a team who has the same uh, vision and, and then I think you can succeed. If you try to put yourself in a, such an important role that you are the most smart and most important guy of the team, I think this will, will never work. You need a, a strong group of people. This will make uh, power and energy. I admire that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. Right, okay, so before we let you go, quick fire round, sponsored by Kenwood, who gives us our radios in the MotoGP paddock. It's not quiz as in remembering anything. It's just preferences. Don't want to let you cheat too much. So we'll start with the easiest one, as ever, if you want yes. to go. Yes, well, we know you're German, but we've got to ask you, what do you prefer, coffee or tea? A coffee. Yeah. Well, Good answer. Okay. I, I betray my country every time with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Your favourite track that is not including Spielberg? Allegedly, it's Bruno. Okay, Solid. yeah. <laughs> uh, lakes and mountains or a holiday by the beach? Beach. Okay. okay. Uh, your best memory as motorsports director for KTM. I imagine this one might be easy as well. Uh, yeah, it come, comes back to the same racetrack, Bruno. Brilliant. Um, strudel or tiramisu? Tiramisu. <gasps> Scandal. Cut the, hate... cut the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I hate strudel. No, my heart what? is broken. <laughs> oh my goodness. So let's okay. go together. You can have all the strudel, I take the tiramisu. <laughs> Perfect then, all right. Uh, what's the most inspiring ride that you've seen in your time at KTM? Phew. A very special was, one was uh, Brad Binder starting last in Jerez and winning the race. We got the last row for... Awesome. for an electronic uh, failure which we did as technicians hmm. and uh, you asked for a short answer but I have no, to no, tell you okay. <laughs> and we went to the judge in the morning FIM and they told us he will be in the last row and we went out of that office he looked over to me and he said Pete and I will win this race today so, and his first oh. one so, wow. so, so that guy is special not just since Bruno he is Brilliant. a special guy since, since we know him that, that was amazing in the stats as well because no one had ever won Hareth from pole in Moto3 until this year yeah. but Brad had won from the back <laughs> yeah. I like that <laughs> like, that's definitely what? special yeah. um, okay if you weren't a rider uh, and now involved in motorsport what career would you have otherwise Ooh. I think, it, yeah, I could work in the, but you, you need to give me the right wording, a construction company of my dad, a small one in our little village. Hmm. I think there was the decision, take this road or take the other one, wow. and I have to choose okay. the other one. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so what about an off-road achievement of KTMs that you're most proud of having overseen? Um, that's unfair. I have so many. <laughs> Whoa, you got so, so many, many cool from. kids over there in uh, in, in off road. One or the other will be jealous. But um, going as a complete nobody to USA and and winning a Supercross title, this was this was definitely 
a, a difficult a difficult project and, and, and an emotional one. Cool. Uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? What? Pineapple on pizza. No. Yes on okay. Oh, no. See, fan, fan says yes, so that's why she I'm, puts I'm it in every time. I'm the biggest champion of pineapple on pizza. Disgusting. Even the yeah people. No. Uh, what, pizza is not what's matching. the best advice you have ever received? I feel like you're an advice giver for good reason <laughs> rather than... <laughs> no, but my parents learned me, whatever you do, you have to stay honest and then uh, you will never get in trouble. So oh, that's good. That's uh, what I still keep Solid up. Solid advice. Okay, and we'll flip it around. So you never need to think about the stories you made to somebody. Exactly. It's oh, easier yeah. as well as yeah. nicer, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so the final one then, what is the best piece of advice you could give anyone who's struggling to achieve something or going through something tough? I, I said it before, I mean that one thing and I mean it really serious, if you wake up every morning and you look in the mirror and, and, and you just want to give your best and, and make the best out of that every single day, I'm sure you achieve something. Whatever you do, if you want to do it better than the guys next to you, you're going to be better. And uh, so wake up and push and chase your dream. That's the only advice I can give. Super. Very good advice. Well, Pip right. Barra, thank you very much. Really thank appreciate you. your time. Better let you go. And uh, we hope you have a good race weekend. People will be hearing this after we find out that. But um, okay. hope good. you have a great weekend and the rest of the season as well, that it continues with some incredible form so far. Thank you for following us. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there you have it, Pit Byra, and the story of how MotoGP's, the KTM's MotoGP project, project properly came to fruition. It was, uh, once I actually got my words out, well, what a story that was. <laughs> I mean, listen to Pit, what an inspirational man. Um, and I really hope you guys, well, took something away from that, learned something. As, uh, as we did, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. Interesting guy for what he's achieved as a racer and then with the company after. I think it's always interesting as well to get that insight from a guy in authority, but about how they use that authority to really get the best out of those around them. Yeah. Similar thing to what we heard from Lynn Jarvis, yeah. both very successful individuals. But have got to take note. Such a different journey. <laughs> Most the definitely, game, yeah. Isn't it? Completely but, different. Um, we got an apology to make before you go, by the way. Uh, we're aware that probably no one's listening or watching now, but uh, apologies <laughs> that only one podcast has come your way very recently. We know it's been a big break since the Lynn Jarvis episode. We might have a few new listeners from this one too. So apologies that, is, uh, that we've been a bit absent with other projects going on. But we do promise we have them fully booked and confirmed. Two guests one per weekend coming up in Misano, and then we're also working on someone for the other race in that triple header in Barcelona as well. So some great content, and they're high-profile guests. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to jinx who it is, because otherwise you know what will happen. It won't happen. But uh, it is confirmed, and we've got <laughs> some more episodes coming at you very, very soon. So if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform. If you aren't subscribed to MotoGP on YouTube, it's not just the podcast. Go and subscribe to MotoGP Plenty on YouTube. Of content. And uh, we won't see you next Monday, but we'll see you very very, very soon. We will, but you did forget. We have to tell people to go and look at stuff on the internet. Ah, we do, yes. Uh, well, basically, <laughs> go and look up all the stuff that came from Bruno's uh, and, Murder, and Brad Binder's MotoGP victory there. And also, I think, key thing took away, if you are a relatively new MotoGP fan, 2016 Jerez, Spanish Grand Prix, Moto3, Brad Binder from the back of the grid. Legendary. Yeah. Properly legendary. There's a few now that Mark Marquez has ruled our world for quite some time. There are a few races that get picked out for him as those mythical signs of his talent. And Hareth 2016, I would yeah. cite as the Binder version. Really amazing race. Enjoy watching it very much. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I think that's it. We'll see you soon.